Welcome to Truth Unbound. I'm your host, Walter Swaim, and today we're in for a real treat. Uh, we have special guests here with us. We have Ron Minton, who has served in uh, Ukraine as a missionary for a number of years, years. And then we also have Tanya with us, Ukrainian herself, and here in the States for the time being. And uh, it, is, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to have this time with them. And uh, especially with the situation, things that are going on in the Ukraine, uh, but we're, we're going to talk about some of that, but our greatest concern is what is it that God is doing in the midst of all the evil that is going on in the invasion of Ukraine by Russia? Uh, what is God doing there and what is happening? So anyway, we're going to get to all of this in just a minute and uh, let them talk, but let's just have a word of prayer real quick. Uh, Father, I thank you so much again that we can have this time together. Uh, to be able to share together uh, what it is that you're doing in their lives and through them in the lives of so many others. And so, God, we just ask for your spirit to give us wisdom, and uh, especially to, uh, to us and, and those that are listening. And uh, we thank you again for the privilege and opportunity to know you, to love you, to serve you uh, wherever you put us in this world. And we ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for being with me, and I'm so glad that you are. So, Ron, tell us a little bit about um, yourself, um, what God's done in your life, how you came to know Christ, um, and, uh, and then all the way up to why you felt called to go to Ukraine. Okay. Well, I was raised in Dumas, Texas, and I became a born-again there in Dumas, Texas, in the Baptist Church, Bible Baptist Church in Dumas, Texas as a teenager. And uh, later, uh, I was uh, also ordained in that church. Uh, I went to, uh, not long after, the, after high school, I went to the Navy, and I was served four years in the uh, nuclear submarine service. I was a nuclear torpedo man, and uh, interesting because from Dumas, Texas, there's no water, but I was living <laughs> under the water. <laughs> anyway, uh, I had a great time there, and sure enough there, at a Bible study, I met my wife, Nancy. And by the way, on the 4th of July this year, we'll be married 50 years. Yes, so, all right. And uh, so after uh, the Navy, after active duty in the Navy, I stayed in reserve, but I went to uh, college and I majored in biblical languages and Greek and, of course, seminary. I took Hebrew and theology and all that stuff and eventually got a, two master's degrees and a doctorate. And so I really felt like I was to be a professor and I taught in the United States for uh, 20, 25 years. Uh, and my last teaching experience here was at Capitol Bible Seminary near Washington, D.C. And I was a Greek professor and had a great time. And I also was asked, have been asked to go to Ukraine to teach for a couple weeks, two or three weeks at a time. And I had gone uh, a few times before then. But after a while, uh, my wife and I would go into Ukraine every every year, and after a while, we began to feel that the Lord might be leading us there. Mm. And sometimes, a couple times, I've been to Ukraine by myself, and I mean, it can get very cold. And mm. I'll never forget my first trip was in January. Oh my! Way back in 1999. Oh yeah. And it was very cold. I honestly didn't think humans could live that cold. <laughs> and so, so you can. <laughs> the wind blew and I was cold. So 
whenever I felt called to Ukraine, I said, uh, not audibly, of course, I spoke to Jesus, but I, I knew he wanted us to be missionaries, and I said, well, in the military, I'd been to Hawaii three times, and I said, can I go as a missionary to Hawaii? <laughs> I'll go as a missionary, but I, wonder why. I prefer. And he said, white snow, white sand, you're going to the snow. So anyway, we, uh, in 2006, we, my wife and I became full-time missionaries. Actually, we became missionaries and started doing deputation in 2004 and 5. Mm -hmm. And in 2006, we moved to Ukraine, and we started uh, International Baptist Bible College. And by the way, it is not uh, technically related to any other college in the world. Mm -hmm. And the college grew, and uh, without any advertising, it, uh, this is uh, like our 16th or 17th year, and we never decreased in the number of classes we held. The Lord really blessed. I bring a lot of professors over from the United States. At first, almost all of them were from there. And then, um, but now we've trained a lot of Ukrainians, and plus there's some other good Bible colleges there. And we, uh, we now have about 30% of our classes taught there, but in the mean, by, by Ukrainians. But in the meantime, our college had expanded to like Poland and Armenia and Guatemala and other countries. Mm. Wow, wow. So you've been a little busy. We've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know you and your wife certainly have been busy and doing, doing so much. Okay, so Tanya, uh, if you wouldn't mind telling us about you, like where, yeah. what, uh, your life in Ukraine and how you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and where you're at now in life. So I'm from Ukraine and I think that pretty much I was a believer like from since childhood because my dad, he taught me a lot about mm. Christ. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I uh, was probably 20, in my 20s, uh, early 20s, I think that I started just thinking more seriously because I uh, I uh, believed in God uh, all my life, but I started realizing that I have to make like a decision, mm. a real step in my life. And uh, I think when I was uh, 23 year old, I repented and then it now it's a very important and uh, significant part of my life. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was really your dad that taught you about yeah, that? and mostly. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, I also understand you have a Master of Arts in, in lo Logistics. Logistics. So yeah. what, what does that involve? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I studied in Kharkov in uh, National Aerospace University and I've got master's degree in this field and uh, I think it's pretty interesting and but you know you it's a hard work really hard work because you have to manage different things and you have to uh, work in different programs and uh, but Wow, yeah, so you're gonna work for Tesla or SpaceX. I mean Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? No. So you're serving the Lord in ministry, yeah. all right, with no, uh, the ministry of the Mintons and, and all. What, uh, while, while still in the Ukraine before the invasion, what, what was life like for you? What, uh, and what did you do and how did you do ministry as well? 
uh, before I, that. I think that uh, when I met Ron and Nancy, you know, um, one um, thing that was really like something significant and bright that was our English camp because we organized it for children. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Ron and Nancy, they have neighbors around their house and uh, these children, they came and we spent nice summer with them. And we went uh, in church, and I was uh, Ron's translator several times in our church. So mm -hmm. that was like my part. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so it started with that, but doing the translation. So, mm -hmm. yeah. wow. I like it very much, and I think that I will improve, uh, improve more in this field, translation. Right, right. wow, yeah. wow. Um, so, also, so, also, let me ask you this. What... Um, uh, maybe, well, let me just ask the question. I, I may be wording it wrong, but for for the average Ukrainian, mm -hmm. what was life like before the invasion, if I may ask? In other words, has it's, yeah. it, and I ask that in the context, what I'm thinking in the back of my mind is, was this something that every Ukrainian grows up thinking could have happened or could happen at any time and now finally it did? Or so, I mean, was, what was life like for you before then? You know, I think that um, our life was um, pretty much uh, like everyone has when it is peaceful time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when I um, flew to U.S., um, I saw people, they are just okay. They go in, I don't know, to cafes, restaurants, uh, shopping, they doing their usual work. And um, that's what we had in Ukraine. So mm -hmm. we, we had normal life. We had good life. But then, of course, uh, the war. Uh, broke everything and uh, turned upside down many scenes and unfortunately many family uh, many families they just you know they really struggle because many people died and uh, many people they lost their houses right now so yeah mm. I think that all these horrible scenes really happened and it changed a lot yeah yes yeah. And war always does doesn't it my goodness so let me just ask I guess both of you this, um, what, you know, because we see the news, you know, but sometimes, you know, you don't know what the news is really projecting to you, you know, uh, which is a little bit of the reason, not all of it, but it's a little reason of why we have truth unbound because, you know, we are unbound in what we can say as far as what the truth of God in his word really says. But back to this. So what is the motivation of Putin to do this in the Ukraine and to the Ukraine? Well, I would say, based on uh, everything that I know and talk to other people and listen to experts and stuff like that, and I have been there for about, like I said, 17, 18 years, I think that the real motivation is that he wants to, his legacy to be that he restored the Russian Federation as close as he could to the size of the Soviet Union. And, you know, Putin is getting, uh, he's getting up in years, and he doesn't have that many years to live, even if he lives a normal lifetime, he doesn't have that many. So he wants to build this legacy, mm -hmm. and I think there's other motivations, but really that is the bottom line. It's not mm -hmm. about Ukraine being part of NATO, because they already have NATO countries that have atomic weapons anytime they want, right there in their border, mm -hmm. Estonia, and now they're gonna have more nations there mm -hmm. and also uh, you can hit you can hit Russia anywhere in the world from 
atomic submarines and missiles all over the world. They can hit anywhere in the world, so the distance is not anything anymore. It's really about something else, and I think primarily it's about him wanting to leave his legacy. I remember, and we did, I did a short podcast on this, I remember reading the article that he wrote last year that seemed to go by most, or the media didn't bring it up to the top, as they often do, but where, I mean, he has, he connects the dots in his own way from history going back hundreds and hundreds of years, doesn't he, in doing this. It's yeah. part of that whole vision, even right. bigger than what he yeah. sees with the Soviet and, Union, but goes farther back than that in his right. mind. And I can, I'll say something if Tanya wants to add, she can, but uh, it's interesting because I heard a couple of uh, PhD historians analyzing what Putin said and these are not on super conservative groups. I mean, I heard it like on National Public Radio and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, National Geographic and all those things. Right. Because I, I listened to all those. I, I subscribe to a lot of stuff. And so, but even they were saying, these are historians and universities, they were saying that he had distorted the truth and the truth does not support what his claims, what he, all the stuff he was saying, especially the religious part. They even had history, history of religions in the Soviet area, mm-hmm. you know, that whole region of the world. But they basically are saying that he did not uh, have the historical facts correct. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah. 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 And, and again, it's not from, we're not talking from like conservative anti-Russian people. We're just right. talking about general historians. They're actually admitting, yeah. 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 So he takes those events. So like I say, he, he's connecting them in his own way, right. you know, in his own brain to justify where he wants to go with this internet. What do you have to add to that? I mean, yeah, what do you... I, uh, I think I agree with Ron's uh, um, point of view as for this situation, yeah. And I think that it's pretty much, you know, some of this, of course, that's about politics and about something going on in um, on high level. But uh, pretty much that is about uh, one's person decisions, one's person point uh, of view and just, you know, uh, how he evaluates and how he thinks it should be. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, it's wrong. We, it's obvious that it's wrong and um, his way of um, his way of organizing this uh, um, like he wants it to be it's you know like uh, the way how it was hundreds years ago for example mm-hmm. just uh, conquer this territory and all these things that's yeah and um, mm-hmm. I think that um, in in most uh, mostly that's uh, also about disinformation because I think that uh, he doesn't have um, he doesn't have um, his in his uh, his view is uh, you know like uh, in some way limited. He doesn't have um, all in information about the world about things, and that's why now we can see um, consequences of it. So wow, yeah, wow. Of course, you know from the from the Christian point of view, um, and from a biblical worldview. Um, you look at the, you, you see what's happening, and of course, I think there's there's prophetic implications there too, as far as Bible prophecy uh, does, uh, even if it, if it's at a distance. But um, what what do you think? What is the work that God is doing uh, in the midst of this? Because so many Ukrainians, millions, are spread out now through Europe as well as some still there. So what do you know of, because of your connection, because of your ministry there, um, 
What is God doing in the midst of all of this, even now? Okay. Well, I can give a couple of examples. Uh, for example, I know that uh, many Ukrainian uh, leaders, Christian leaders that we work with, uh, the one cultural difference is that in America we tend to be almost like bragging when someone comes to the Lord, we added this number, we baptized this number. Right. And Ukrainians tend to not exaggerate numbers and they don't say this guy's a born again unless they really believe it. Mm. So when some okay. of the same people are telling us that a lot of uh, refugees are people fleeing and a lot of them are working in these uh, camps, that a lot of our churches are close to Poland and Romania and Moldova and all those countries where they're going, and they stop there for a few days to get cleaned up and rest up and get food and whatever and medicine, what they need before they go on out of Ukraine. And a lot of these people, lots of people, are really hearing the gospel. And clearly, even those people who are very conservative in their numbers, even they're saying that a lot of Ukrainians are coming to the Lord. And like in our mm. church, uh, in our church in Kharkiv, uh, there's only nine people, nine men left of a couple hundred people. And they, uh, every day, they, there's no jobs because they've all been blown away, but every day they uh, do ministry. Mm -hmm. They help people take food to villages and towns and they distribute stuff. They take, uh, with our van even, they've taken over a thousand people to the train station to get out of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And they always have an evangelistic uh, message, a strong message. And people are very receptive. You know, your life could end any time. You start thinking seriously about eternity. And they, the taxis can charge up to $100 to take you to the train station, and we take them free. You know, our people there take them free. Mm -hmm. And so they're ready to listen. And so all kinds of situations. We know right now of Bible colleges in Ukraine that are still having, a couple of them, are still having classes. Some of it's broadcast from the United States, some inside Ukraine, that are still having classes online. I mean, mm -hmm. having church services uh, online. Okay. There are probably a few still meeting here and there. In fact, I know there's still some meeting here and there. But so a lot of it is still going on. But I think Ukraine, Ukraine, in my opinion, has always been more open to the gospel than the Americans have been. They're very hardened, and Europeans are extremely hardened. Mm -hmm. But I think now, I think a lot of Ukrainians are starting to think even more. And this is the opportunity for evangelism. And I have been very impressed by the Ukrainians that stayed there and what they're doing. You know, they're mm. strong believers. Yeah. A lot of them couldn't leave because the men, a lot of men are aren't able to live. Right, the, the men were not allowed, yeah, to, leave, not allowed right? to leave. Uh, from what age? Well, I'm not sure exactly, but it's 17, 18? It's about 17 to 60, 60 or something. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, up, pretty high up in years. Anyway, but a lot of the people that are there, I'm telling you, I'm so proud of those Ukrainians because a lot of them, even under rough conditions, they're maintaining a solid Christian witness. They're an example to Americans right now. Yeah, and I'm telling yeah, you, a lot imagine. of these people, they're in dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. But I am telling you, they, there's a lot of people that are coming to the Lord in Ukraine. Because it's, I know the war is a horrible thing, and we're praying for it to end every day. But God in his sovereign uh, knowledge and everything, he uses even bad things for good. Right. And a lot of people coming to him uh, by faith in Jesus Christ at this time, and it's a blessing in that sense. Exactly. Well, I mean, even going back to the, um, you know, the, the, the original early church there in Jerusalem, when you know when persecution occurred, people were spread out uh, throughout the then known world, and the gospel spread like wildfire. You know, uh, even under the persecution that was going on of believers. So uh, that's that's right. Now let me ask um, let me ask you what was um, 
what was up prior to the war, um, the average Ukrainian, uh, how did the average Ukrainian see Zelensky, the president? I think that, um, you know, of course, like, I think like in every country we had our own problems, mm -hmm. issues. Of course, that's, yeah. yeah that's Wait, what? Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that's exist everywhere, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's what uh, everyone has, yeah. But after uh, this invasion, I think that really now we 100% uh, we are proud of our president because I think that he uh, does good job right now and um, he is uh, that this position is right for this person that's mm -hmm. my point of view yeah mm -hmm. and um, you know especially um, what I, I was really impressed um, on the first day of uh, the war when it started and uh, he was in danger and uh, he had this opportunity just to leave and we unfortunately we um, have these examples mm. uh, just to live and you know like um, save his own yeah. life and think only of himself but he stayed and uh, what he said I mm. do not need taxi I need missiles yeah. so that was pretty strong and uh, that's impressed me because uh, now he is with his uh, people with Ukraine with his nation mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's something that strengthens us uh, because we see a good example mm -hmm. and um, yeah i i can say that i proud of ukrainians as well because mm -hmm. uh, we are strong people and i believe that um, we will be strong enough and um, we will have a bright future you see this to the end exactly yeah. wow um but before even uh, all this has happened uh Y'all had quite a bit of religious freedom, though, right? Yes. In fact, in uh, uh, the 15 years before this, when uh, we were in Ukraine, we did all kinds of stuff like outdoor evangelism, and even even renting a place for in big apartment areas. And we always got permission from the government, but they never turned us down. Mm -hmm. And we, there has been a little bit of religious opposition, but mostly really not much. In Ukraine, we have, and actually it's, it's a true fact right now in the, the government of the United States that Ukraine has more religious freedom before this war than we have in the United States. Yeah. Because you could say some stuff from your pulpit right now that uh, uh, would be considered this, you know, woke stupidity and hate crimes and all this stuff when it's just normal stuff. Right. But in Ukraine, you can say what you want to. The only thing we can't say is we cannot be an attempt to overthrow the government. Well, of course, yeah. we're not interested to do that anyway. Right, right. We're interested in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in Ukraine, we have not had uh, government opposition. And uh, it's, they have, they have real, true freedom. I've read, the, I've read their constitution in English, of course, I've had it in Russian, and I can mm -hmm. read some Russian, but it's, it would take me a long time to understand that. Mm -hmm. But I can say this, the statements of religious freedom are very strong, and so we don't, we don't have any problem in that. Wow. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. Well, under any kind of Russian hand, there won't be. But, you know, on the other hand, I mean, you know, we want to see the Russian people reach for Christ just as much as anyone else, right? Now, I understand that Ukraine has, has been for quite some time kind of a hub right, for missionary activity to the rest of Europe and to even to Asia, is that true? Yeah, well, let me just say this. Um, 
I read an article about six months before the war, of course, not knowing that there was going to be a war, mm -hmm. but it's interesting, and I don't even remember what source, I'm sure we can find it on, you know, internet, but no problem, but this article said that uh, at this time, Ukraine has become the, the strongest evangelical nation in all of Europe. Wow. And I, and I thought, wow. And it's true that we've, some our church and some other churches, a lot of missionaries come out from Ukraine. Even in our Bible college, we've had, we've had dozens and dozens of people leave from our Bible college and go to different parts of the world. Some of them, we don't even know they went. Mm -hmm. They take classes for a year or two, and I get an email every year. I get emails, and they'll say, you remember me from nine years ago, or eight years, whatever it was. I took two years, and now we're, we have a church in Siberia in our mm -hmm. house. We have 22 wow. people coming, and wow. Estonia, and even Latvia, and Slavonia, and all these, some countries that I've never even heard of. Right. So, they Ukrainians are being trained, and uh, not just by us, because there are several good schools in Ukraine. They're being trained, and now Ukrainians are the stronger ones, are even in part of the training process, and they're sending out people uh, to a, a lot of people. I mean, I know Ukrainians who do have done short term, and but every year, three or four months of missionary work in Africa and different places like. Even our college, we've sent Ukrainians to work in Philippines and Guatemala, uh, and uh, see, I think one, see two other countries, uh, and yeah. Armenia. And so, the Ukrainians, a lot of them, are eager to spread the gospel to the rest of the world. They don't have the culture in Ukraine isn't so advanced where they're so affluent that they're tied to this world as much as we are. Right. And they, right. a lot of Ukrainians are willing to pick up and go. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's just the way they are, right? And that's an important point to make because usually, where you you know, it's a double-edged sword, uh, you know, where you, where you seem to have more affluence, uh, Christian community as well can tend to get more lackadaisical, you know, yes. more more too content with what they have. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, you mentioned Siberia. I understand that's a great vacation spot. Yeah. So, <laughs> by the way, Siberia yeah. is larger than most people realize. Siberia, wow. I think, has seven time zones. It's bigger than oh my goodness. It's bigger than United States, including Alaska. It's very big. It's, wow. It's mostly yeah. cold, but in the southern part, you can you can have a growing season. Yeah. A quick, short one, but yeah, it can be interrupted by snow, but you can usually do it. Right, right, right. But, but boy, I, I highly respect the believers there that are trying to do church planting movements in that area. There's, there's yeah. some there, but it's rugged work. Yeah, I bet it is. My goodness. Not for the faint of heart. Right, right. Is If there is one area, for instance, in your experience in the Ukraine, is there some, are there doctrinal areas that sometimes there tends to be a drift in that you have to make sure that, you know, you teach well that... Well. We any uh, common doctrinal first of all, drifts? First of all, I should say that uh, in Ukraine we try to be solid biblical uh, teaching, biblicist, whatever you want to call us. We refuse to be uh, called after a name like Jacob Arminius or right. Calvin. We right. tell every class that we'll say we're not Calvinists, we're not Armenian. Uh, we're we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God who created us in His image, and that includes emotion, intellect, will. Uh, choice, freedom, choice, and freedom of uh, moral responsibility, and uh, so I think, in my opinion, the the area that they need uh, strength in in Ukraine, in which we are making a lot of progress in this, is that the Christians need to 
get more away from traditions, just like Americans in, in some area have had problems, struggles in this, mm -hmm. and more to the biblical area and, rec and recognize that the God who created the universe offers them eternal life and when they trust him, he declares them righteous forever. And with Ukrainians, it's a lot of them in their culture, especially with Mennonite background, Mennonite influence, even though a lot of them don't even realize that, mm. they, they have this, there's a large feeling that if I sin pretty bad, or if I sin before I die, then I'm going to hell. Mm. So, but uh, what we do is we try to say that Christ Jesus loves us so much that if we trust in him, he's God in the flesh, if we trust in him, then our salvation depends on him saving us and keeping us, not on us. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that can take us out of God's hand because Jesus is God and he's holding us. So I think, uh, and we've had counselors, we have a guy that teaches counseling for us in America, and he said the number one problem are people, the, mo the number one emotional struggling problem they have for Christians is that they fear that they're going to lose salvation if they sin, and therefore they can't, their whole life, whether they admit it or not, is, has this tension. Mm -hmm. we, even some girls that have worked for us, some translators that worked for us, because we had several people, men and women, even they will say, pray that I don't sin before I die, because I'll go to hell. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, they have this, not all of them, I'm not saying all Ukrainians, but a lot right, of them, right. for, as a culture, they tend to have this feeling that my eternal destiny is depending on my actions. It's true that as Christians, our eternal destiny, what we do in heaven, depends on what we do here, but what we do here does not make us, doesn't enable us to get into heaven. That's only by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our faith in Him. Right. We have eternal life when we trust in Him, and then He saves us forever, but He also expects us to do something. Like I tell everybody, because of Charlie Bean, book I read by him, and this is my new motto, is that salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. And Jesus is looking for people right now that are his disciples. They want to be his disciples. Mm -hmm. And, and when, by the way, when, if I could just put an advertisement here, when we found Tanya and we saw how good of a worker she was, and also she wanted to learn the Bible so much, I said, this person is a keeper. And we went and met her family, and her dad was a strong believer. And so there's a lot of Ukrainians that are strong believers, and they, just, they need a little more training, but they just mm -hmm. need encouragement in tough times. It's not as easy to be Ukrainian as it is to be American. When right. they come over here, they're shocked at how easy everything is. Right, so, right, but right. They're, but they're open and ready to go. Right, right. Wow. It, which is, was, I was going to ask you that question as well. Mm -hmm. And you can be entirely honest with all our listeners. <laughs> and no one's going to be offended, all right? What, uh, for good or bad, what are some of the things, like he mentioned, what are, are, what are the things that, in coming to the West like this, that you, you're like, oh, you know, that, that shocked you, or you're like, I don't know if that's good. You know, what are some of the things that you've seen coming here that you went, I don't know if I, this is really good, you know, especially from, you know, being a believer and, mm -hmm. and a Ukrainian believer. Concerning church or just in general, uh, how lifestyle, how people live? Yes. Both. <laughs> Both, yeah. Both, yeah. okay. I think that as for lifestyle, you know, everything, um, it's from one point, it's good, and from the other, it's not good. Because everything is so, you know, you go to supermarket, everything is in packages, you know, you even don't have to cook, you don't have to do something. Like, life here, it seems like... Um, 
people uh, do less, you know, just uh, no troubles, yeah, too convenient. Everything should be just as much convenient as it's possible. Mm. It's not so bad, but uh, from, I think that I uh, saw some uh, tiny things that, you know, it seems like... Um, Maybe it's, from my point, it's like too too much, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like that. Probably, oh, it's uh, it's nothing. You can do this, really. It's nothing. It's not so hard to do this or something. Right. Yeah, maybe it's just cultural differences. I I, I don't know. And uh, as for uh, as for the church in the U.S. Um, Maybe it's just again, it's just because that our churches are different. Because uh, in Ukraine, I think that uh, you have this um, doctrine of you know that um, you have to do something. Yes, to uh, to like to uh, be a good Christian, you have to pursue and all these things. So, mm -hmm. and um, I think that. Um, of course, some people, they can just make this uh, vision of it, but many people actually, they are very hard working in church, you know, you have to be involved in everything, you have to do, and all these things. And uh, here, what, um, of course, I was only in three churches, <laughs> I can't <laughs> say much about this, yes, but in general, I think that Mm, people more like kind of um, they come to church maybe they are really good believers in their daily life maybe they are good people but it's just like sometimes I think that it's just mostly good time for them it's just like uh, they come to church and on Sundays and you know like uh, maybe uh, I don't know for sure it's maybe kind of impression but uh, mm -hmm. that's what I've got yeah. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, I served as myself uh, for almost a decade in the developing world in South America. And uh, I remember just time and time again, people would take the little change that they had being the common laborer, sometimes ride two or three bus. Uh, we lived in a large city in, in Argentina and they would, these believers would, would take, you know, take them a couple hours or more to get to the, your church you know, and they were, they came, they wanted to be there. They wanted to stay there for a while, you know, so our services would be longer. We would have meals together, uh, you know, and, and it was, uh, then I would come here and it'd be like, oh, well, I've got a headache or oh, I have to drive more than 20 minutes to church. I don't feel like it today. And I would just go, ah, you know, to just, you know, so uh, the convenience, you know, I think. And um, uh, we had a friend of mine, and we did an interview with him on the podcast, who uh, grew up in Cuba, you know, and it came to Christ in Cuba. Uh, you know, they would walk in pairs sometimes, and, and they would walk up to 10 miles just to get to the place where they would have their service. And then once they are in that, that home or that location, wherever they met, they would talk in conversational tones. They would sing in conversational tone. Nothing louder, nothing, you know, that was noticeable uh, besides just people being in their house. And so, you know, and I would compare and I, you know, and I'm not trying to, we're not trying to be judgmental. I understand that. It's just an observation that you see that sometimes our, sometimes our, our, vigor, you know, as Christians here, I think in the West and in the U.S. in particular, it can be very, um, weakened uh, by that, I think, and very consumer-oriented, you know, what does it do for me? And so, whereas when you're stepping out of places of the world, like I did some work in Honduras, I mean, these folks just are always serving the Lord, you know, uh, and so, so vi in such a vital and urgent way. 
and very faithful. So, uh, you know, not to say that it doesn't exist here. Obviously, I'm just saying it maybe maybe at not such a, a greater level as we see in the rest of the world in many places where, you know, their Christianity is being pressed against, mm-hmm. you know, uh, indirectly or directly. But anyway, well, uh, let me ask you this last question. We'll end it here. Um, what is it, uh, Ron, that... Uh, maybe the listeners here, and by the way, you know, our podcast, fact, I was looking uh, just this morning real quickly at some of the recent downloads in the podcast, uh, had several in Russia, <laughs> you know, that listened to it, and uh, that's been pretty consistent and downloaded it. We have some, in, uh, I've had people, folks in Singapore and in parts of Europe and England that have listened to the podcast and actually downloading it, listening to it, and uh, evidently sharing it because we see an increase. Uh, at certain times of the month, we have right after a new podcast comes out. So I said all that to say this, is those that are listening, if they want to do something to help this ministry to Ukraine, you know, what, what would you tell them? Well, first of all, of course, I think, and I really mean this from my heart, is that if people would pray for uh, the Ukrainians, because the most important thing is and you have to get this right, the most important thing is not their physical life. That's right. important, but Ukrainians, like everybody else in the world, every country, their most important thing is they need to come to, to Christ Jesus. They have to be born again. Right. And that's what everything is all about. Uh, so they need to pray. And there are many ways that people can, Americans especially, the truth is Americans have too much money and too much ease in, in many ways. And they think that they're, Americans think they have it hard because they haven't been anywhere else. Right. You go to <laughs> exactly. almost anywhere That's, else and you see that you had it yeah. very easy. Yes. And yes. Uh, so, the, but there are ways to give uh, money to help people. Even, even we have a fund that has gotten quite a bit of money in it. What we do is we help only Ukraine believers, not people that have left Ukraine because there's literally billions of dollars helping those people and they need it because there's many many millions of people leaving right and there's all kinds of evangelicals even baptists and all kinds of stuff helping people outside and we're trying to help people inside of ukraine as well and uh uh, i don't feel too comfortable about telling people to give to us i don't fact i don't tell anybody to give but if they want to give they can contact you and you can tell you know you can give them our contact information something like that it will be uh, it'll be by the way for those that are watching listening uh there there'll be a link in the description of uh of the podcast where you can reach out to them and contact them so go ahead if anybody gives anything to us it they should label it you know for this situation they should label it war relief that's what we call our fund okay and It'll go to the missions office, and every we're count where you know we keep exact records of all the money, and uh, and the only thing I can say is that every penny will be used for that. Right. And I'm not trying to. No one should even give money to us unless they support their own church and their own ministry, because that should be primarily. But some people do ask us how to help, and that's one way they can help. And you can see stuff like even in Kanye, we're able to get her legally here through the. Homeland Security system and all this stuff, and well, it takes it takes funds to do that, and yeah. because people helped us, we're able to help her. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's a lot of stuff involved in it. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Ron. Yeah, we'll be uh, putting again, uh, emphasizing that we'll be putting contact information and all of that he said will be in the description of the podcast. Um, all right. So uh, Tanya, uh, there's a believer that is struggling in Russia, in Ukraine in other parts of Europe. What do you have 
to tell them? How could you encourage them, especially with what you've been through and yeah, walking with um, the Lord? You know, um, I can uh, I can say only from what I saw in Ukraine and like to be a Ukrainian believer. I think that uh, people really can have uh, very hard times uh, now and uh, that's uh, sometimes we unfortunately we can see that some um, Russian believers they uh, they do not understand what we have what is reality look like what reality looks like and uh, yeah I think that um, even if you don't understand some things but you really have to believe that so many people they have uh, very hard times right now and at least not to blame each other that somebody understands something wrong or right or something like this but I think that um, as believers and as just uh, um, they sh I think that we should help each other, that people should help each other and if you see some need and if you understand that you can do this, um, so go. You mm -hmm. have this opportunity now to help someone to minister and to be involved in this. And of course, um, I think that many people, they uh, pray for each other and uh, yeah, but at least I think that if you have in your heart something like you hate or I don't know you feel that uh, some you feel something bad bad toward other people I think that now that's right time to get rid of this and mm. uh, just you know because even if you don't understand something I think that truth will be uh, revealed uh, anyway some in the future right. yeah so um, I just I wish that uh, people um, just do not uh, have this uh, bad attitude and uh, blame right probably that's, right that's pretty much it okay good yeah and especially yeah. as the believer uh, is to realize that others you know we're to reach others with the love of Christ the message of Christ and to love others uh, yeah. above and beyond any earthly you know uh, ideas you know that sometimes can seep into minds and hearts and to separate that from the love of God and that we're supposed to be the representation of Christ and to love uh, those uh, around the world regardless and uh, from our neighbor to the farthest one away. Um, and so, and all of this, again, for those who are watching or listening, this is, you know, uh, this podcast and their ministry, all of this as believers are, are you know, we exist to to share the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, to repent of sin and turn and believe in him. And if you've not made that choice, I would urge you to do so. And you say, well, how can I let God know this? Well, he says in Romans 10, 13, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's telling him so and telling him, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you're, my, you're the savior. You're the only one who saves. You are God. You died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the dead to give me life. And I accept that and I want that. Save me today. And here's control of my life. I'm yours. And just telling him something in your own words like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not some ritual prayer, but an expression, a conversation you have with God where you turn from your sin and you believe in him. It's that simple. It's what he tells us in his word. And so it's to believe in him and follow him. And then he, at that moment, he forgives sin and he gives you eternal life. And, uh, and then I, I would urge you to take the next step, which is to follow him in, in, in water baptism and being part of a church that believes the Bible 
And uh, if you're, uh, we've had a handful that have, have messaged us both in our Spanish podcast, Verdad Sin Limites, and also Truth Unbound. It's, you know, the, indicated they've made a decision for Christ or they've been away from the Lord. What can I do to get back? And wherever we ask where they are at, we try to find a, a Bible-based church close to them or someone who can know and connect them to that. And so feel free to do that if you would. Comment and reply as well on this podcast, especially on YouTube, where it provides that space to do that. I try to get to every one of the comments that I can as well. And then I urge you to uh, just click on like. Uh, that gets the word out about the podcast, helps it's, help it jump through the algorithms out there and get to others. But the biggest thing is not only that, but also to share the podcast uh, with others, and then they can do the same as well and get the word out so others can hear the truth of Jesus Christ, hear the stories that we get to do interviews once in a while like this with real people, real folks that are dealing with real life and how God's truth uh, fills their lives in the Spirit's presence and leads them through uh, struggles and difficulties in life just like you and I may have. So again, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, Ron, thank you. And uh, Tanya, thank you. It's been a real privilege. And you always have a place and a welcome home. Let this be your happy place at any time uh, you come through the area or just a call or message. And uh, we'll be with you. But again, thank you. Again, let's close in a word of prayer real quick. Father, I thank you again so much for these wonderful people. Lord, for Ron and his wife, Nancy. Lord, for Tanya. For the many believers that have been under the ministry, Lord, that continue to be by at this distance, Lord, that maybe one day soon this war can end and everyone be brought back together again. But in the meanwhile, we know that you're working. Your spirit is with each one of us and uh, your presence is there. You dwell within us who believe in you. Uh, your kingdom is throughout all of this world, whether it's in a communist nation, an oppressed nation, uh, or a free nation, Lord, you are there in those who know you and love you and believe in you. Father, we look forward to your second coming. Lord, we, like John, say, even so come, Lord Jesus. But at the same time, we know we have a responsibility and a privilege and a calling by you, each and every believer, to share you and your good news with others and to make disciples of Jesus who will in turn make disciples of Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. And um, Lord, just bless these folks so much and give them safety and provide for their very needs. In Jesus' name, we ask this again. All right. Well, thank you all again. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for uh, enduring any of the technical difficulties you see or hear. Uh, but it is what it is. And here we are. We're real people with uh, real things. And uh, I want to encourage you, as we always end every podcast saying, remember to follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus you'll always follow the truth. Take care. We'll see you again next time.